If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 134. Psalm 134, we will be concluding our series today on the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 134, there in the middle of your Bibles. This is God's holy and authoritative word to us. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy and authoritative and inspired word to us. And so, Lord, now as we, as we look to it, we pray that you would, you would teach us, you would instruct us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see wonderful things here in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've made it to the top. This is the last of our Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 134, our first psalm began in Psalm 120 in the desolate place of Kedar where it was God forsaken it seemed, but now we end up on the mountaintop in Zion, in Jerusalem, in the holy city to worship God as these pilgrims did many, many, many years ago. They were progressing up to one of the annual feasts. To praise the forever God, Yahweh, who is there in the holy city of Jerusalem. I don't know about you guys, but these Psalms of Ascent have been very encouraging. They're, they're very devotional. They, they minister to us. In fact, all of the Psalms do that. We can easily relate to them. And so the pastors and I have been encouraging you to spend some time devotionally in God's Word and in the Psalms of Ascent. And I want to just make mention of a couple of resources that we've mentioned for your personal edification. Two of those are books, and one's by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a wonderful devotional resource. I commend it to you. Another is by Derek Thomas, and it's called A Voyage of Discovery. That book was also published under the title, Making the Most of Your Devotional Life. So wherever you can get a copy of that, we encourage you to do that. We put them up on our Highlands Facebook page. So if you forget those, didn't write them down, go to facebook.com slash highlandspca and you'll see those resources there. Additionally, we have the Psalms of Ascent series up on our website, highlandspca.org. So I encourage you to spend some time devotionally in the Psalms of Ascent. But let's, let's get back here to our psalm, Psalm 134. And as we think about what the psalmist is telling the people here, is what it means for us, I encourage you to ask yourselves these questions. What is it that drives you? Why do you wake up in the morning? What is your main purpose in life? What is, what is the purpose of life in general? If someone were to tell you that tomorrow your life was going to totally change, it's going to be totally different. You're no longer going to have the same friends. You're no longer going to have your family. You're no longer going to have your job, your career, 
your home, nothing about your life would be the same. How would you cope? What would be your purpose in life if that were to happen? Well, Psalm 134 is going to tell us. So let's pay attention to it as we think about the purpose of life. But this psalm for us this morning, is a, it's a call to worship. It's a call to praise. It's the calls for us to remember the most important thing in life is to praise the Lord. But it's also a benediction. It's a blessing upon us. And so we're going to look at this psalm here really under two points this morning. We bless the Lord and He blesses us. We bless the Lord, and He blesses us. The first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is that we bless the Lord. It's a call to worship. It's a call for God's people to worship, to praise His holy name, as we just got finished singing about. But the very first word we see here, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, is the word come. And this is a word to get our attention. It literally means in Hebrew, here. So, here, pay attention. So, some of the words that we use to translate this word for our English purposes is, is come or behold. As uh, the old King James Bibles read, if any of you have those, lo. You know, anytime I hear that word lo, I just think back to my childhood and that pastor going lo. And the Lord said, you know, pay attention. That's what's going on here. It's a a call to behold. And it's appropriate to begin a call to worship this way, to come, behold. Just as we began our worship service with the, the hymn, Come, ye sinners. It's a call to come and to worship. It's an invitation to everyone, to sinners, to poor, to wretched, to needy. I fit all those descriptions. And my guess is that you do too. It's a call for us all to come and to worship. The second word that we see there in this psalm is the word bless. The Hebrew word for this word blessed is barak. It's used three times in this passage. So the word blessed is the focus, is the driving point behind this passage. It's a very important word. It's a focus of the psalm. And barak means to, to bless, to pronounce blessings, to give praise, to give thanks, to extol. And this word here appears in our passage in the imperative because it is imperative that we bless the Lord, that we praise the Lord. We are, in fact, commanded to praise the Lord, to give Him blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it seems odd to me to say that believers or worshipers or Christians are to bless the Lord. Doesn't he bless us? Isn't that what we say when someone asks, how are you doing? How's life? I'm, I'm very blessed. God has blessed us. But are we to bless God? Well, we need him to bless us. We need His favor to shine upon us. But in the amazing grace of God, we get to bless the Lord. And this gives Him pleasure. And He delights in us 
when we do this. Eugene Peterson says this about that passage. It describes what God does to us and among us. He enters into covenant with us. He pours out His life for us. He shares the goodness of His Spirit, the vitality of His creation, the joys of His redemption. He empties Himself among us and we get what He is. That is blessing. We bless Him for it. We praise God for it. Another thing that I want you to take note of here in this psalm is the name that is used for God in this psalm. It is, as you look in your English Bibles, Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. We've made mention of this before, but it's worth mentioning it again. In our English Bibles, when we see that word, that name for God, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it is the proper name of God from the Old Testament, the name that we call in English Yahweh. And the name Yahweh is used five times in this passage. So in three short verses, Yahweh is named five times. Hence, it's very important. It's a very God-centered, Christ-centered psalm. It is the most important word in this passage. The name Yahweh is important. As we know, it's the covenant name of God. It's the personal name of God, the name that he gave to his people, Israel. It's a relational name. It is the name that he gave to his people when he said, I am your God and you are my people. You are to call me Yahweh. So when we read in our Old Testaments and you see that word, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's not just talking about any old God. It's talking about the God of the Bible. It's talking about the triune God who is holy, 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 who has entered into relationship with his people and says, you are to call me Yahweh. Even more amazing, as we flip ahead, as we live in New Testament times, and as we read in our New Testament Bibles, Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says that before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus has just said by that one simple statement is that he is Yahweh. Jesus says, I am your God. You are my people. I am Yahweh. That is who we're talking about here in this passage. So this highlights that there's deep concern by the psalmist for the glory of God, for the praise, for the worship, for the blessing of God. His chief purpose as they got to Zion, prepared to worship in the temple, is to glorify the Lord, glorify God. But by way of application, these God-exalting words to bless the Lord, they're reminders to us that worship is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and praising His holy name. We're to adore Yahweh and Him and Him alone. Too often our ideas about worship look like they're focused on everything else but Jesus. We must pray for this God-exalting, God-glorifying passion to worship the Lord day and night as we are pointed to here in this passage. When that is what we're all about, when that is our chief purpose, 
This affects the way you pray. This affects what you think about church. This affects who and how you worship. It affects how you work. It affects how you parent. It affects who your friends are. It affects everything. It affects what is most important in life. And this is the most important thing in life, to bless the Lord. But just as an aside, I want to make mention about these pilgrims. They're going to church. They're at church. We are at church. This matters for church. It matters because getting out of bed on Sunday mornings and coming to church is not about you. And let's face it, getting out of bed on Sunday mornings and coming to church is hard. A friend of mine, an elder friend of mine, years and years ago, I remember said to me, Satan visits our home on Sunday morning. (laughs) All of you laughed in agreement. Because we're coming to worship the Lord, and he doesn't want that, does he? We're here at church to worship Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about how cool the youth ministry is. Our youth ministry is very cool. It's not about how well-themed the children's ministry area is. It's pretty well-themed. It's not about how funny your Sunday school teacher is. It's not whether or not the pastor remembers your name at the door. And please don't hold me to that. (laughs) Joseph is really good at that. (laughs) It's about worshiping God. Worshiping God Almighty as He's revealed to us in Jesus Christ. if you're not part of a church, if you're, worship, if you're worshiping with us today and you're not part of a church that centers its focus on the Lord, change churches. If you're not part of a church that centers its teaching and its focus upon worship from the Bible and the Bible alone, change churches. But for you personally, stop going to church to meet your felt needs. Come to church to worship the Lord, to bless the Lord, to praise God. If this is convicting to you, if you're like me, I remember some 20 years ago being utterly convicted that I was going to church or not going to church for all the wrong reasons. And if this is you, ask the Lord to change your heart To give you a heart to praise His holy name. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's that's why coming to church is not just about the sermon. I hope this sermon blesses you. I hope every sermon here blesses you. But the singing of songs and hymns with God's people is, is worship. Listening to the prayer and giving tithes and offerings is worship. It is all worship for the glory of God. Ask the Lord. To give you a God-centered, a God-inspired view of worship to praise His holy name. We see there in verse 1, though, that the servants of the Lord were also to praise the Lord by night. Even while we sleep, worship goes on. A few months ago, I was on a plane with a man from India. He's going home to see his family. India is about 12 hours 
behind us or in front of us. It's one of those. <laughs> it's on the other side of the globe. The Delta map couldn't even show it on the other side of the globe. It was just like over there. But the thought hit me, hey, I'm sleeping and he's worshiping the Lord. <laughs> the angels are worshiping the Lord day and night. The psalmist here is serious about worship. His concern for worship carries on into the night. It's as if he's talking to the temple priest here and saying, you know, the Lord bless you and keep blessing and praising the Lord at nighttime. Those who stand by night in the house of the Lord are probably the Levites carrying out their priestly duties. You can read all about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 9. It was the priest who kept up with the priestly duties of praising the Lord even at night. But that's not a point for you to go, oh, that's neat, Wilson. Thanks for sharing that commentary with me. The Bible actually says that you and I, we, believers in Christ, we're a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. That means that we are vigilant to bless the Lord at all times. Week after week, we process here to praise and to bless the Lord. It is up to us. We praise His holy name. Notice in verse 2 that there's a posture to worship. Now, I'm going to be careful here. I'm in a Presbyterian church, so we don't want you to get too charismatic. But we lift up our hands to the holy place to bless the Lord. We lift up our hands. We bless the Lord. There's a posture here to prayer and to praise. Lifting up our hands is, is not to be a novelty in the church. We don't have deacons who are going to come usher you out of the room if you lift up your hands. So go ahead, do it. It's a visible, outward response of an inward movement of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not a novelty. Listen to these other scripture passages. Psalm 28, verse 2. Hear the, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Lamentations 3.41 Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger quarreling. There's a posture to worship. It's God-centered and it's Godward-focused. It's, it's not slouching. Our, our worship, our praise is not to be unmoved. It's, it's lifted up. Someone pointed out to me, hey, Wilson, you know, we don't have hymn books in the pews. We have a screen back up here. It's rolled up now for us to look up and to praise the Lord together. There's a posture to worship. And it's not unmoved. Same for if when praying, we get on our knees, we lift our hands. Lord, we praise you, we bless you, help us. But what if you're like me? What if you're like me sometimes and you just don't feel like praising God? What if you're sitting here this morning and you really don't want to be here? 
I really would like to be asleep or there's a golf tournament on or whatever. What if your parents made you come to church today? Parents make your kids go to church, by the way. What if you are just not feeling like being in church? What do you what do you do? Eugene Peterson is helpful here again to us. Listen to this. This has to do with our posture in worship. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel, he said. It's a simple motor movement. Hand lift up. See? Just like that. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. Just maybe, just maybe, your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. There's a posture to our worship. There's so many times where I just don't feel like praying. And maybe we just need to get down on our knees. Lord, I'm on my knees. Help me. Maybe you don't feel like worshiping. You lift your hands up. Help me. Praise you. Lift up your hands. Worship the Lord. I've been reading some very deep theology this week. I want you to be super impressed by this extremely thick theological material that I'm holding in front of you. Do not let the colors in the train fool you. Okay? And I want to share this profound knowledge with you from a story that we enjoy reading our children called Ferdinand, the engine that went off the rails. And yes, this is a Scottish-English book, and that's why his name is Ferdinand, and that's why a few of these words are going to be out of order. (laughs) But this first story, The Inventor's Best Invention, just listen. Be nostalgic with me for a moment. Once upon a time, there was a very, very clever inventor who made a beautiful railway engine. It was brightly colored and shiny. It was a steam engine, and it was the best thing that the inventor had ever invented. And he had invented many wonderful things. He had made the track on which the trains ran. It went through tunnels and over bridges and up hills and down valleys. It had many stations, and the engine could draw trucks and carry cargo back and forth between them. This railway engine was so special, it even had a name. It was called Ferdinand. Everybody who saw it and who knew the inventor would say as it would pass, you can tell the inventor made that engine. Isn't it beautifully made? What craftsmanship. What lovely design. Ferdinand was made to run on those two rails on that track. Sometimes as he steamed along, he would look with fascination at the green fields full of daisies or the cool rushing streams. But if he ever tried to get off his track, he would get himself into terrible, terrible trouble because railway engines are made to run on rails. While Ferdinand did what he was made to do, taking things from station to station for the inventor, he was happy and all was well. The inventor watched him from the window of his inventing house and was pleased with what he had made. Ferdinand was a train. Trains are made to run on the rails, on the train tracks. And he was never going to be happy. He was never going to be, as Thomas the Train's 
friends would say, useful. <laughs> unless he was, in being the best trained that he possibly could, unless he was doing what he was made to do, and that was run on those rails. You see, brothers and sisters, worshiping the Lord is not an option. It's not something that we should feel like doing. It's something that we were made to do. We were created to worship. This goes for the believer and the non-believer. In the Presbyterian tradition, we love the Westminster Confession of Faith, and there's a series of catechisms that go along with this Confession of Faith. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, puts it very beautifully, one of the most beautiful expressions, I believe, in all of human history. And the question goes, what is the chief end of man? Or we might rephrase it, what is the purpose of man? And the answer, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Or, in the words of Psalm 134, what is our chief purpose? To bless the Lord. We can never praise God enough. It's what we were made for. And coming together and worshiping with God's people, it helps us get the focus off ourselves and back on God. It makes us God-centered beings. This is why we need to be be together on Sunday mornings for worship. You were made for this. God's design is the local church for us to come together and to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord with other needy, struggling believers who sometimes don't feel like being here. Worship is to never stop. Life is about praising the Lord. So we praise the Lord. That is the first thing. The second thing here in verse 3 is the Lord blesses us. We bless the Lord. The Lord blesses us. Verse 3 is a, is a benediction. A benediction is a pronouncement of a blessing. That's why if you've been here at Highlands, you're visiting and you're wondering why when the pastor pronounces the benediction, we all stand like this. We're not a cult, nor do we have any weird rituals. <laughs> We're simply receiving the benediction. Our heads are lifted up. Our eyes are not closed. We want to hear and to see the pronouncement of blessing on God's people. But notice in Psalm 133, the psalm right above 134, that this theme of the blessing of God is continued. Because it says, from Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life Forevermore. From Zion comes blessing, God's favor upon his people. He has commanded blessing. He blesses us. And this reminds us of that great, wonderful, threefold blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6 from the high priest Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord blesses us. This blessing is from the Lord. He's the Lord who made 
heaven and earth, the psalmist says. The one who made heaven and earth is a, he's kind of a big deal. Because again, this is the God of the Bible. This is Yahweh. This is not just a ruler or some Lord or some king who's the king over this region or he's the Lord over this region or he's the regent of this area. No, he's the Lord of heaven and earth and it doesn't get any bigger than that. There are no land titles that outmatch that one. The Lord of heaven and earth. He gives you his blessing. He has all the authority and power to command his blessing. But it's interesting to note that the psalmist says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. From Zion or Jerusalem. The Bible uses both names to refer to the capital of Israel, the holy city of David, Zion or Jerusalem. This blessing comes not from the throne room of heaven, which we might expect him to say, but no, it comes from Zion. Why is it from Zion? It's from Zion because that's where the blessings come from, right? That's where the holy worship of God's people is gathering right now together in the Psalms of Ascent up to Zion to bless the Lord because that's where the sacrifices are offered. That's where the blood is shed to atone for sin. And so the blessing is from Zion. And this reminds us New Testament believers, right? That the greatest blessing that could ever be given did in fact come from Zion. It was a blessing that was once and for all and that continues to all who believe. Is the blessing of a once for all sacrifice where a man... The God-man was lifted up and was crucified, our Lord Jesus. This is the blessing that the Apostle Paul perfectly explains in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Or we could say he was Killed for us, for our sins. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, we would receive the blessing of God. Life forevermore. The God who made the heaven and earth is the God who humbled himself. By becoming a man, by dying on a cross... So that the blessing of the Lord would flow down to his people. Interesting to note here in verse 3. That the word for bless, Barak, that we already mentioned. Is a verb that's in the singular. Which means it's referring to a very specific you. You personally. It's a blessing for you. Derek Thomas says this, the blessing of God finds you wherever you are, whoever you are. The blessing is for you, you who struggle with sin, you who doubt, you who are in pain, you who hate yourself and don't want to go on living, 
You who think you are not good enough to come to God. You who do not feel like being here in worship and praising God. The blessing is for you. This blessing is for you because a great Savior has secured this blessing for you. It was nothing you have done. It was all Jesus, our great Savior. In conclusion, this psalm is about God. It's about the triune God of the Bible who is holy, holy, holy. He's the only God. He's our God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. It's about Yahweh who Jesus says, I am Yahweh. And you, we, are to praise Him. Derek Kidner says this. He says, to bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what He is. To bless man, God must make of Him what He is not and give Him what He has not. He has done that to us through Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful how from Zion... On that Roman cross many years ago, God has commanded His blessing. He has poured out His blessing upon us in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Or in the words of Psalm 134, our purpose is to bless God. But it doesn't stop there. May the Lord bless you because he has blessed us. Let's pray. Father, what, what more can we say? What words do we have to express how wonderful you are, borrowing the words of Scripture, that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for us as far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed sin from us, you have blessed us. We are blessed. We thank you from Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who has poured out his blessing upon us, who became sin for us, who died for us, so that we may receive your blessing. May we, Lord, bless you always and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.